Morning, church. Morning. Good to see you guys. Even better to hear you sing. So encouraging to hear you guys sing and preach together the good news. We are in a series titled Religion versus Jesus. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. Turn with me there in your copy of the scripture. This series, Religion versus Jesus, we're considering how different it is as followers of Jesus to trust in him relationally and to relate to God personally rather than simply act out of religious duty. This morning, I'd like us to consider how hard times are viewed differently by followers of Jesus than by those who are religious. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said of hard times and the pain that they bring in our lives, the pain is a holy angel who shows us treasures. Is this how we view hardship, difficulties? Pain is a holy angel who shows us treasures that would otherwise remain forever hidden. Through him, pain, men and women have become greater than through all the joys of the world. More is available to us, he's saying. More is accomplished through pain than through all the joys of the world. It must be so, and I tell myself this in my present situation over and over again. What was his present situation? I find Bonhoeffer's words uniquely credible because he wrote them as he sat in a Nazi prison. He was a German Lutheran minister, but had been arrested for resisting the rule of the Third Reich in his homeland. In fact, he ventured back to Germany, having found safety in America, he ventured back to Germany knowing full well that he would most likely be arrested for his resisting Hitler's rule in his home country. Once being arrested, after two years in various concentration camps, Nazi authorities hanged him to death just one month before Germany surrendered to Allied forces. Pain is a holy angel whose treasures, who, who show us treasures that would otherwise remain forever hidden. Is this how we view hardship? Now, I wonder where Bonhoeffer got his perspective on suffering. In a room this size, there are many, many of us enduring various hardships, pain of all sorts, financial, emotional, relational, physical, spiritual. Hardships are one of the great equalizers in the world. Everyone experiences them. Brilliance will not insulate you against hardship. Charisma won't insulate you against hardship. Wealth won't insulate you against hardship. In fact, brilliance and charisma and wealth may be a catalyst for increased hardship in your life. If you're not currently suffering from some difficulty, praise God. <laughs> praise God. But we're all humble enough to admit we don't know what lies ahead, and we can't control the future, and we recognize that hardship is certainly in store for each of us. So it's vital for us to settle once and for all how we're going to view hardships. 
because traditional religions have a very different perspective on suffering than do the followers of Jesus. Here's how I would juxtapose the different outlooks. For the religious, hardship is discouraging because one must conclude they've been bad and God is punishing them, or gods, if that were your outlook, for their failure. Karma has caught up with you if you're religious and things have gone bad. For the followers of Jesus, though, hardship is difficult for sure, but Jesus bore the punishment that I deserve on the cross, which means I can embrace hardship as the discipline of a loving God. Religion tells me that when life is good, it's because I've been good. I've done something to deserve the blessings. This means that when life is hard, when it's flipped on its head, I must conclude conversely that I've done something to deserve the difficulties. Jesus has a wholly different message, completely different message. For those trusting in Jesus, hardships are changed completely. We're not to pretend hardships aren't hard, but we can at the same time rest in the knowledge that Jesus bore our punishment. The punishment we deserve, the karma that we deserve, he took upon himself. Isaiah said as much 700 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah chapter 53, he, he describes the ministry of Jesus to us. He was pierced for our transgressions. The suffering that we deserve, the piercing that we deserve, because of our foolish, self-interested, selfish, sinful behavior, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace this morning was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. That's more than just okay news. You know, we go out in the world today, we'll gather again next week, but between, we're out in the world, and it's not just so-so news that we have to offer. It's good news that we have to offer. He was pierced for our transgressions. He, the punishment that we deserve, he took upon himself. This means it would be wrong to think of hardships as, as God punishing us for our sins. That type of view would actually dishonor the sufferings of Christ. When discouraged by sufferings, we go to God and say, Why do I deserve this? Why are you doing this to me? It actually dishonors the work of Christ in our lives. We ought to view sufferings We ought to view the sufferings of Christ as changing our perspective on suffering in this world completely. How might that be? Our suffering is to be viewed as the loving discipline of our dad, our perfect creator, caring for us as his creatures. 
Follow along as I read Hebrews 12. We'll set, I'll set the context just in these first few verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, and then we'll get into the meat of the passage. The author says, in your struggle, verse 4, in your struggle against sin, it's not gone all that bad for you yet. In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Yeah, it's hard, but you've not actually shed blood yet. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? And then he's going to give this word of encouragement that he fears they have forgotten. It's from the book of Proverbs, an Old Testament passage. My son, quote, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So this letter, contextually, you know, <clears throat> this letter was uh, a letter written to first century Jewish Christians. Those Jews that saw in Jesus the Messiah, the long-awaited and promised Messiah that was foretold in the scriptures, the one that Isaiah, in fact, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel foretold is coming. Isaiah said he'll be pierced for us. He'll bear our punishment. And then described, basically, crucifixion that Christ endured. And so these Jews, they saw in Christ the long-awaited Messiah, and they began to follow him as their rabbi and trusting in him rather than trusting in themselves. They accepted the good news of his death and resurrection as sacrificial and victorious. When they did so, they were put out of the synagogue and persecuted by their, their family and friends. They were uh, refused uh, a place in the marketplace. No one would trade with them anymore. They were ostracized by their Jewish community, and then the Roman authorities saw them as an aberrant cult, confiscated their land, put them out of their homes, put them in jail. Some were put to death. And so that's the context that the author writes. He wants them to not forget the posture that we should take as followers of Christ. Discipline, uh, hardship is to be viewed as discipline. God's actually caring for us. He's at work in the pain that we experience. Verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. So picture in your mind's eye, Draw to memory what you're going through right now. Maybe it's work-related or family-related or emotional, mental health. Endure hardship as discipline. God's treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it, how much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? How much more should we trust our Creator? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may, and if you're an underliner, if you mark your copy of the Scripture, man, share in His holiness. This is the hope we have that we would share in his holiness, that his moral perfection would increasingly be a part of our lives, that tomorrow I'll be more like Christ in character than I am today as I endure hardship. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace, things we all want. It's the outcome of sharing in his holiness, righteousness, more, increased moral perfection, 
and peace for those who are trained by it, who allow it to do its good work, shape us, mold us, form us. Let the suffering and the difficulty shape you, train you. Verse 12, therefore, for this reason, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Take hope. Make level paths for your feet. Mark out a course so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So that healing is in store. Yes, we can see hardship as challenges for sure. We don't have to pretend that hardships aren't difficult. Scripture never encourages us to pretend. We are not a people who put on a happy face. We, in fact, are told in Scripture to cry with those who cry, to laugh with those who laugh. We are a people that, in fact, bear each other's burdens. But Scripture does teach us that all hardships have silver linings for those who trust in Christ. Although rain clouds come, the sun will break through. If you're a note taker, you could jot down just a couple of things that I've gleaned fairly straightforward from this passage. Hardships are an opportunity to know God's love as his sons and daughters. To be more assured that God's present and caring for us and that he will work through this, that he has purposes, our pain is never wasted. Hardships are an opportunity to experience God's goodness, his goodness, and to share in his holiness. We need to be trained by it. We need to let it have its good effect. We need not resist it, resent it, refuse it, grow bitter in it. Finally, hardships are an opportunity to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. So much in life that is outside our control. As I grow older, this is um, more and more clear to me how little is outside our control. How, how, how much is outside our control, how little is within our control. But we can have peace, increasingly, because nothing's outside our Father's control. So Bonhoeffer got his notion of the value of pain directly from Scripture, a German Lutheran minister. It's Scripture that teaches us that without the trials of life, without hardships, we would be morally stunted. You'll not become fully you. You'll not become fully the person. We'll not become fully the people that God would have us to be apart from enduring trials without suffering. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes this very same thing in his letter. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Some translations say that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. Let the trials of life meet them with a joyous attitude. Look for the silver lining so that they'll have the full good effect on your life, shape you, train you to produce righteousness, increased moral perfection, and bring more peace into your life. You are a son. You are a daughter. God is at work in your life. He's not forgotten you. 
This type of patience in the face of trials, a posture of counting difficulties as joys, as seeing them as opportunities for maturing, sounds absolutely crazed to our modern ears. Because our whole culture is geared toward pain avoidance. If you watch any amount of television, then you endure an inordinate amount of drug commercials, right? Where you're told at the end of the commercial, tell your, your doctor, your, your caregiver about this particular drug. We watch as the deepest of human conflicts are resolved in 30-minute television shows. Even if you binge watch a Netflix series, we expect, kind of internally, that everything's going to be wrapped up with a bow by the end of the series. We've come to expect that modern medicine will provide quick cures for every disease. If we're not careful as suburbanites, our longing is not for greater perseverance, Let's check ourselves. Is our longing for greater perseverance? Patience for a fully formed character or for comfort, convenience, and a quick escape? Scripture tells us that there is real value in suffering. If we're not careful, we simply want release. We want it to pass. We want to get through it. Oh, it's okay to want to get through it. We resist it along the way. We're not looking, and I'm certainly not trying to create suffering in my own life or the lives of those I love. But when it comes, we need to see it as an opportunity to grow, to become mature, complete, lacking nothing, letting patience have its perfect work in our lives, Seeing God as active in the sufferings. Active in the hellish realities. We know it's the case. Beloved passage in Romans 8 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Whatever you're going through, it's not even worth comparing. It's not even apples and oranges. It's apples and vegetables or apples and, and meat. Or it's of a wholly different category to what's going to be revealed to the glory that will be revealed in us ultimately. And for this reason, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. The good news is that God is orchestrating something beautiful out of the innumerable difficulties represented in this room and around the globe. If you're enduring hardship, every detail of every trial you're facing is within the reach of God. We have the promise none of our suffering is wasted because of who Jesus is. What he's already done, what he's promised to complete upon return. There is always good purposes in the pain we're experiencing. None of our pain is ever wasted as followers of Jesus. Such good news. Truly, truly good news. There's a waiting world out there eager to hear it. We prayed this morning on the prayer call for... Um, Ukraine, Russia, uh, the Middle East, the Palestinians, the Israelites at war, praying in particular that the church in those areas would rise up 
and be the church. Point to the silver lining. Call people to peace. Minister a healing balm. Because, because Christ is raised and God's at work to care for us in our pain. So just again, hardships are an opportunity to know God's love as his sons and daughters, to experience God's goodness, share in his holiness, and produce a harvest of righteousness and peace if we will persevere in patience. Instead of looking at hardships and wondering whether God loves us, let's look at hardships as the proof God loves us. Let's let hardships remind us that he's active in our lives. And he's up to something wanting to grow us. So many of us, when we face hardships, allow our hearts to grow discouraged. I've fallen into that. Rather than allowing our hearts to grow soft and encouraged that God is present in our sufferings. Remember, if, if we can say anything about suffering in the world, Right? The problem of evil. Why does a good God allow evil to continue? It's a, a philosophical quandary, right? We don't have all the data, but we do know, we do know that God is at work bringing good out of the evil in the world. This we can say with certain certainty. So, if we can say anything about suffering in the world, the one thing we cannot say is that God doesn't care about our suffering. It's the one thing we cannot say. We cannot conclude that God doesn't care about our suffering. Why is it that we cannot conclude that? Because of the cross of Christ. At its core, at its core, the gospel is a message of God entering the world to join us in our suffering. So when the problem of evil is presented, after first service, someone's going to visit, comes up to me and says, I'm going to visit a family member in the next week uh, who, who just lost a daughter, a young woman, um, that had just delivered her second child, and then she went on to die. He said, in fact, uh, the mother of the daughter who passed away has concluded God does not care. He doesn't care. But the cross of Christ demonstrates, while we don't know everything there is to know about why God has allowed evil, one thing we cannot conclude is he doesn't care about our suffering. We actually must conclude that he's been active. God himself came in the flesh, being born to a virgin, lived a morally perfect life, and then was pierced for our transgressions. The punishment we deserve, he bore on the cross. So if we conclude anything about suffering, it's that God deeply cares about our suffering and is moving the world towards a culminating finish time when every tear will be wiped away and there'll be no more suffering. That's really good news particularly in light of the other religions of the world and what they say about suffering. As we consider the difference between religions and Jesus' teaching, it seems of the utmost importance point to point out that Buddha didn't die for us. Think with me. 
Buddha didn't enter the world and suffer on our behalf. Buddha, in fact, taught that you must be your own light. You must care for yourself. That's not really going well for humanity. Allah did not enter the world and suffer on our behalf. Neither did his prophet Muhammad. Only Jesus entered the world. We, we sang three songs before the preaching this morning. The last song was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Right? John 1.1. It's how John opens his gospel. The Word became flesh. God entered the valley of the shadow of death to care for us when we couldn't care for ourselves. The Hindu gods, Brahma and Vishnu, they didn't enter the world and suffer for us. Instead, each of these world religions taught that suffering is our fault and ours to fix. The message of Christ is radically different. It is, the suffering in the world is our fault. God came to fix it. Do you see the difference? That's good news. It's really, really good news. Only Jesus suffered on the cross that we might be saved. Only Jesus took our punishment upon himself. Only through faith in Jesus can we stand on the promise that all our sufferings will be redeemed. So how do we live in light of this? And I'll just pause real quick. Let me, let me pause and say, if you're here checking out the claims of Christ, you're not yet self-described as a follower of Jesus, we're glad you're here. The room is filled with followers of Jesus, all of whom were at one time checking out the claims of Christ. This is a safe place to check out the claims of Christ, to ask your questions. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart. You'll find rest. This is Jesus' own words. He invites us to himself with questions. You can begin following Jesus right where you are in your seat, the journey that's a beautiful journey of increasing righteousness and peace can, can start this morning. Just talk to God, your creator, like you talk to your best friend. We can do that because Jesus is a friend of sinners. We're all sinners. Just tell him, I want to trust. I can't fix it myself. Thank you for being pierced for my transgressions. Work something beautiful in my life. So how do we live in light of the realities? Well, first of all, we should expect hardships. We should expect hardships. Um, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. There is a, a strain of evangelicalism that, uh, that teaches if you have enough faith, you'll have no hardships. It's just not biblical. It's called the health and wealth gospel. It's a prosperity gospel. Those that have enough faith have greater health, greater wealth. I'm not sure what they do when they come to verses like, in this world you will have trouble, take heart, I've overcome the world. Um, I'm not sure what they do with the, the martyred death of many, many followers of Christ and the hardships that they faced. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ does not insulate us from hardship. It does change how we experience them. We are people who see rain clouds and look for silver linings, meaning we have hope. We have hope. We don't pretend that things are easy in life, but we live with a confidence that he's doing more than we could ask or even imagine. Ephesians 3.20. So this morning, if you're, if you're in a hard spot, you're in the right place. We cry with those who cry. We mourn with those who mourn. We're actually given to one another to bear each other's burdens, to walk each other through hard times. So you're in the right place. Somebody saw me after first service, just talked about how every week she's crying in service, like why did the tears start every week as she's singing? I said, let the tears come, and you're in the right place. God has cared for us. So we see, we expect hardships, but we also see God differently. Secondly, we see God differently. We no longer see God as someone who's looking to catch us in wrongdoing and punish us, but rather as someone who's caught us in wrongdoing and taken the punishment upon himself. It's radically, radically different. The disciple John described Jesus' ministry this way. He said, for God did not sin his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Christ came not to condemn, but to save. Let's see God more clearly. Let's see God more accurately. Jesus said of himself, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. Last week, in fact, we considered a parable on the importance of faithfulness when we've been entrusted with resources, time and talents and treasure, and how differently religious folks handle what they've been entrusted with than do the followers of Jesus. We are free to fail as followers of Jesus, meaning we don't have to, we've been entrusted and we can take great risks because God is looking to bless us. He wants us actually, in quote, to share in his happiness. We all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. This was last week's sermon. I'll put you in charge of many things. Here's the beauty. Come and share. The same word is used in today's passage. Come and share, in this context, in your master's happiness. In today's context, context, share, share in his holiness. Happiness and holiness. The master of the parable is the creator. We're the creatures. We've been entrusted with life. And as we're faithful to steward life for his glory, it works out in our good. We get the opportunity to be more and more faithful. And as we're faithful, it it actually increases our joy, our happiness. In this week's passage, we read again that God wants to share with us not simply happiness, but holiness. Context is a little different. The aim is the same. The author wants us to understand who God is his character, and what God's up to, his purposes. So the context last week was faithfulness in stewardship. The context this week is faithfulness in hardship. The call's the same, faithfulness. The promise is the same. We get to share in the character and purposes of God. He wants us to share in his holiness. Far too many Christians wrestle with thoughts of self-loathing when they suffer. What did I do wrong? Why don't you love me, God? When hardships come, so many of us are so prone 
to thinking God is pouring out his wrath on us. Folks, that's contrary to the gospel. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus so that it wouldn't have to be poured out on us. Now, there are still consequences to sin, meaning if I, if I do something stupid, if I shoot myself in the foot, it's going to hurt. If I speed, I'm going to expect tickets. If I drive recklessly, I'm going to expect crashes. There are natural consequences to sinful behavior, but it's not God pouring his wrath out on us. God poured his wrath out on Christ. God is working in our lives for holiness. He wants us to share in his holiness. I'll be blunt. A change in how we see God is often the most significant element of enduring hardship well. If we think God's out to get us, we often don't do well in hardship. If we think God is out to bless us and work for the good, our good, in every circumstance, we often do much better in hardship. My final thought is on holiness. Let's expect trials. God allows us to endure them. He wants us to be trained by them. Let's see God more and more accurately. He's working for our good, right? And that good is holiness. Holiness. Dallas Willard, huge influence on my life as a follower of Jesus. He was a um, USC philosophy professor, University of Southern Cal California philosophy professor. That's how he paid the bills. Uh, but he also had a lot of writings, which I'd highly recommend, on following after Christ. So he's a philosophy professor in the secular setting, Southern California, but he also wrote many brilliant works on following Jesus. He's since passed away. You can find him on YouTube if you want to watch some of his teachings, Dallas Willard. He said famously about followers of Jesus, too often we're not only saved by grace, but we are paralyzed by it. That ought not to be. His point was, too many of us hear the message that, you're, that we are loved unconditionally. That there's nothing we can do that would, have, that would make God love us more or less. He loves us perfectly, just as we are. It's a beautiful message of God's goodness towards us in grace. And then we hear that message and never do anything. We're saved by grace, and then we're paralyzed by it. Clearly, in Scripture, God has a desire for us. And that desire is that we would be faithful. And that as the message of grace washes over us, our response will increasingly be, how can I live to honor Him? How can I give my life to Him? How can I let the trials I'm enduring train me? Not for any random outcome, but for the outcome of holiness. Increased Moral perfection. Will I ever be perfect? No. But by God's grace, I'll learn to say no to ungodliness, Titus 2. By God's grace, as the grace of God, in fact, one of the ways you can tell you're really meeting with the grace of God is that you have a desire to increasingly honor Him with your life. One of the ways you can tell if you're meeting with religion is you resent the demands of God on your life. And you resist it. 
But when the grace of God washes over you and you see that he loves you perfectly and unconditionally and is working in the hardships and the hellish situations of your life to bring good outcomes, then you stand up straight and you say, what can I do to honor him? I want more of that person in my life. And the outcome, as we're trained by that, is righteousness and peace. God wants to work. He wants to share with us his holiness, his moral perfection. He wants us to go on to be mature, complete, lacking nothing. So no discipline seems pleasant at the time. I get it. If you're in the, in the vice this morning, the pinched between hardship, it's not a good place, easy place to be. It's painful. Later on, however, it produces a good outcome a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. Holiness is the outcome. Holiness is the outcome. We'll be trained by it if we see clearly who God is. Let me pray for us toward that end. Father, I want to pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts and minds. So we would see clearly you've done for us what we could not do for ourselves. You have delivered us and loved us perfectly. I have no doubt some of us are in tight spots with great pressure on our lives because of hardships, relational, emotional, mental, physical, Father, help us see clearly you have good plans for us. That you entered the valley of the shadow of death, you joined us in this suffering to bring redemption and full restoration. I pray for an increase of faith and hope this morning among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Down front will be Carter McFarlane and Aaron Christner. They would love to pray with and for you. Let's stand at this time. We'll close in song. Come on down front if you would like to be prayed with.